Gospel according to Mark. We're using a pew Bible that can be found on page 1014. I'll be reading verses 1 to 8. And in this particular passage of Scripture, you'll, you'll notice that at verse 9 and following, there is a parenthesis there related to earlier manuscripts not including verses 9 to 20. Well, that's kind of a, a heavy matter that I need to save for another day, and I'll address on another Lord's Day. So, But we're going to focus on verses 1 to 8 uh, this morning because just stating a few sentences regarding why that's the case. Uh, when we look at uh, the verses following verse 8, it's not going to suffice. I need to, to explain that more clearly and in length with you. But this morning, on this uh, Resurrection Sunday, what we know to be true is that indeed Christ is raised from the dead as we see uh, at chapter 16, and in every gospel, in fact, gives testimony to the resurrection of Christ. Let us now hear God's word. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was a very large stone. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right, and right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that by the power of your spirits, you would minister to your people, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word, and to believe your word, to rejoice in your word, and to follow your word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would remove any distractions that would hinder us from listening, from hearing, and heeding the call of the gospel. The things perhaps in this day, or in the week before us, or the week in the past, whatever it is, O oh Lord, may it be removed from our hearts and minds so that we may hear clear, clearly what the Spirit is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Congregation of Christ, Jesus' disciples earlier in the Gospel of Mark commented to Jesus how beautiful and magnificent the temple buildings looked, especially from a distance as they are on Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus teaches them there of what will happen to the temple building in Jerusalem 
how the temple and Jerusalem will be destroyed. The, the, the disciples are like, look, Jesus, look at how magnificent these stones are. Look how magnificent these buildings are. And Jesus said they will be destroyed. Not one stone will be upon another. In John's Gospel, John chapter 2, and I brought this out on Good Friday, the Jews challenged Jesus to show him signs for why he was cleansing the temple. John chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, by what authority is he doing these things? What gives him the right? And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. On Good Friday, the temple of Christ's body is destroyed on the cross, crushed for sinners. And on the third day, the temple of Christ's body is rebuilt. The glorious, majestic, beautiful, incorruptible, imperishable body of our Lord Jesus Christ forever reigns and rules. It will never die again. The redeemed of God, who are called by his name, will come to the temple, come to Jesus to receive forgiveness and mercy. The people of God will come to the temple, Jesus, to worship and praise his great name. He turns the sorrow of Good Friday into joy on Sunday morning. And we rejoice the tenor on Easter morning on Resurrection Sunday morning is different than Good Friday, is it not? He brings joy into the sorrowful hearts. And we see this sorrow turn to joy in our passage this morning. Yes, they are fearful when they see that the tomb is empty, but as we look at the whole of Scripture, and other passages, that sorrow is turned to great joy. There's a mix of both, in fact. So let's look first in our passage here of the women's arrival at the tomb. Verses 1 to 3, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had arisen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? The Sabbath day had concluded, and the Sabbath day concluded at 6 o'clock on Saturday evening. And so they buy spices to anoint the body of Jesus. It was a sign of honor, to honor the dead body of Jesus. They wanted to anoint him and show their respects. The Jews in those days, they didn't embalm bodies. They would cover the body with spices and perfume so that during the decay process, there would not be a stench. And then when the body was completely decayed, where there were only bones, they would put the bones in the ossuary. An ossuary is a bone box. And it would be kept with the family. Back not too long ago, there was an article about an ossuary, a bone box by some archaeologists who believed that they found the bone box of James, the Lord's brother. 
And there was an inscription on the box that said, James, the brother of Jesus. Well, archaeologists have debunked that and believe it's a fake. But that's how they tried to preserve the body from, from decaying and having that stench. They would put perfume and spices. They would anoint the body. But we know earlier in Mark, in Mark chapter 14, what happens? What happens in Mark 14? Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, anoints him. And Jesus there says to his, his disciples, who were rebuking her for spending so much money, this perfume was costly, and they were, she was anointing, she was anointing Jesus' feet, his body with it. And Jesus said to them, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body before burial. Even there, Jesus is being respected and honored by a woman. And he is being honored and respected by these ladies who are going to the tomb, who are thinking that they are going to anoint him. What happens very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and what did they what were they thinking? How are we going to roll this big old stone out of the way? This large stone. Large stone. I, I, I'm not I don't want to make much of it, but it's interesting this comparison between the temple destroyed earlier in Mark chapter 13 and, and this imagery that we see throughout Mark of temple and Jesus being the fulfillment of the temple. And now we have a large stone across the tomb, blocking entrance into the tomb. But in Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 and 3, we hear this, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. They go to the tomb, and what are they going to see? They're going to see the stone rolled away. This large stone, which could not keep in or contain the risen Christ. Death cannot hold Jesus. Now, did this large stone have to be rolled away for him to rise from the dead? No. No. So what's the purpose? The purpose is to demonstrate to the women and to those disciples who run there that indeed he is risen from the dead. It symbolizes that the empty tomb is empty because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It is for his disciples. It is for his people to know that this large stone could not contain the Son of Man, Son of God. And Jesus has the victory over the grave. Victory. And so they go there wanting to anoint Jesus, wondering how this large stone is going to be rolled away. But in a supernatural way, God brings angels to the tomb to roll it away with the sign of an earthquake. See, the truth and historicity of the resurrection is witnessed by angels and women and men. It was not the 11 disciples. It was not the 11 disciples who were met by angels at the empty tomb. In all four Gospels, it is the women who see the empty tomb. The first group 
to learn of Christ and his resurrection? Women. It is quite remarkable that the Lord chose women first to reveal the empty tomb and the announcement of Christ's resurrection from the angels. And so to their surprise, they see the appearance of an angel and they hear the angel's announcements. Secondly, the angel's appearance and announcements. The women approach the tomb and they see a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The angel tries to calm their fears. Whenever angels appear to men or women in the Bible, it immediately follows that these human beings fear. These people fear the presence of a spiritual being. But this isn't an angel of judgment. This is an angel of good news. Just as Jesus Christ came into the world with the announcement that Christ the Lord will be born of the virgin, just as Mary received the announcement, the good news, that in her she will bear the Christ child, so too in his resurrection, the announcement of his glory, the announcement of his resurrection is announced. Don't be alarmed, he said. No reason to be alarmed, for he is risen. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. You are looking for that particular man with that particular ministry, the one who died but is now risen from the dead. Come and see. Come and see where they laid him. The temple of the Lord's body, which was destroyed, placed in a tomb, and shut in by a large stone, is now rebuilt. And he is risen from the dead. Death could not hold him in the grave. The Holy One will not see decay. In fulfillment of the scriptures, the glory of God. What an announcement. We have this announcement for us in his word. We have this announcement given to us. God graciously gave us his word. This word that was written by the apostles and prophets who were led by the Holy Spirit, by God himself to inscripturate, to write down this glorious testimony of Christ the Lord is risen. For you to hear. But not just to hear, but to believe. Do you believe? Do you come and see the risen Christ as given testimony in the Holy Word of God? The angel appears and he makes this grand announcement, this joy-filled announcement. And then he gives a command. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He commands the women to go to tell the disciples that he will see them and meet them in Galilee. Notice, just as he told you, he will fulfill his word. In that culture, the Jews did not find a woman's testimony credible. Therefore, a woman's testimony was not allowed in courts in Jewish culture. And who does God use to give testimony to men? Women. 
women. Good Friday pointed out the irony in the crucifixion narrative. Well, note the irony here. It was men who bore fit, false witness against Christ during his betrayal and during his uh, trial. But it is women here who give good testimony, who will give good testimony to the risen Christ, to the disciples. Who's going to believe these women? But nevertheless, the women obeyed the angel's command. And what happened? The disciples didn't believe them. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke talks about how when the women told him that, that Christ is risen, that he's not in the tomb, the disciples accused them of idle talk. They accused them of idle tales, literally. You're speaking a myth. This is not true. They didn't believe the women. But how many times did Jesus tell them while he was alive, before his crucifixion and resurrection, that he would suffer and die? Three times. And alluded to it several times. And they yet did not believe him. They did not understand until they saw the risen Lord these women, in obedience to Jesus, in obedience to the angel's command, went to, to the men to proclaim the risen Christ, to tell the disciples that he is alive. It wasn't until the disciples themselves saw the risen Christ that they believed. In fact, back in John chapter 2, after Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, it says at verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It was when the disciples, two disciples, ran into the tomb and saw that Jesus' body wasn't there, that they understood the scriptures to be true. They understood the word of Jesus was true, that he is risen. These women obeyed the angel's command. They go to the disciples, and the disciples at first didn't believe the women, but they went to go look for themselves, and they found an empty tomb. And Jesus revealed himself to them and met with them at Galilee as he promised. But what was the women's reaction? In verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment. This word astonish astonishment is also ecstatic. They left trembling in fear, but astonished. This mixture of, of fear and joy. Like, what is going on here? What did we just witness? They witnessed something amazing. Fear gripped their hearts. And yet there was this astonishment accompanying it. They saw the awesome presence of the angel. They saw the empty tomb. They were trying to discern the word of the angel, the announcement, the command. Jesus' body is missing. What's going on here? They fully didn't grasp altogether that Christ was raised until Jesus himself appeared to them on the way going to the disciples. You remember they mistaken him for a gardener? In another gospel, the gospel of Matthew, verse 20, or verse 8 of chapter 28, 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus revealed himself in the flesh, in the person of the Christ, the risen Christ, to his followers, these women. They were the first to see the risen Lord, and they go give testimony of the risen Lord to the disciples, and the disciples will learn that indeed Christ is risen from the dead. This is the truth and historicity of the resurrection of Christ. Do you believe it? Friends, it comes down to that simple question. Do you believe it? Do you remember when Jesus raised Nazareth? Mary and Martha? We heard that the prophet will give eternal life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it, Mary and Martha? I say this at every funeral. The question given to the women is, is the same question for you and me every day of our lives. Because the resurrection of Christ requires a supernatural work of God in the heart of a sinner to believe it. You would not believe the resurrection and the testimony of God's word if God did not first work in you and me. That's a fact. Because our hearts are so hardened and at enmity against God by nature. And we need a supernatural work of God to open the, the eyes of our hearts and minds to grant us faith and repentance to believe that Christ indeed is risen today. Regardless if a person believes or doesn't believe, does not change the fact, however, that Christ is risen today. So whether you believe or don't believe, he's risen regardless. He's risen regardless. And so these verses teach us the truth and historicity, the testimony of the resurrection of Christ through the appearance and announcement of the angels given to women. And these women go and tell the disciples of the Lord's resurrection to meet him in Galilee. Why is the resurrection of Christ so important? Why is it so important? You have the notes turned to the opposite side there. Why is the resurrection of Christ so important? The rebuilding of Christ's body or the resurrection of Christ means that Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. He's no longer in a tomb. He is resurrected and was vindicated. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 writes this. He, he writes or references an old Christian creed. That says this, great indeed we profess or confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the spirit, vindicated, or he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, 
seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Vindicated by the Spirit in His resurrection. In other words, in the days of His earthly ministry, He showed Himself to be just and righteous and holy. He was the perfect Savior, the perfect Lord. And because of His righteousness, because of His perfection, because of His sacrifice, He was vindicated. He was raised from the dead. The Father granted to him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is vindicated because of his life. And death could not hold the Son of God in a tomb. Because death cannot contain the Son of God, nor Satan contain the Son of God. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus is glorified. In his resurrection, he entered the state of glorification. In his earthly life, he was in a state of humiliation, knowing the affirmities of the flesh, knowing suffering and pain and sorrow. But in his resurrection, he entered a state of glorification. His resurrection was one of incorruptible nature an imperishable body that will never die again, an indestructible body, an immortal body. And in this way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so different than the resurrection or those being raised in the Scriptures. For example, Lazarus. Lazarus was raised by Jesus, but Lazarus was raised and he still had a corruptible body. He died again. Jesus' resurrection was one of incorruptibility, imperishable, indestructible, unique in that way. And therefore, he is the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead. The first fruits of those who rise from the dead. At 1 Corinthians 15, verses 19 to 21, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who have died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This is because he is glorified with an incorruptible, immortal, indestructible body. He was vindicated, he is glorified. He is victorious over sin, death, and hell. Sin, death, and hell is defeated. He defeated the works of the devil. He defeated sin. The enmity between God and man, which is our sin and misery, our hatred toward God, he defeated and destroyed. And at the resurrection of the dead in the last day, the last enemy to be de destroyed and defeated will be death. There will no more be death because Jesus is victorious. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. Fourth, Jesus' word is true and trustworthy. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it up. 
His word is true and trustworthy. When you read his word, when you read the testimony of the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection to one's life, you can know that it's true and trustworthy because God does not lie. He does not manipulate. And he will not lead you astray. His testimony is true and recorded for us in the Bible. And although we do not see him now, we know with the eyes of faith that he is indeed risen from the dead. And his spirit, the spirit of the living God, bears witness with our spirit that he is alive. And that the testimony of scripture is true. Jesus tells Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me, Christian. That's you and me. Why is the resurrection so important? Lastly, the risen Christ is the only hope for sinners. He's your only hope. He's your only hope. We're all going to die lest we come again soon. But we all experience death. I ask you, what is your only hope? What are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? What do you think will happen when you cross this life to the next? Well, for the Christian, the risen Christ is our only hope. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection unto eternal life. He guarantees it. Christians then live with a sure and certain hope. Not a cross your fingers and pray, but a sure and certain hope that he will come again. And he will make us like him. Even now the believer in the risen Christ knows resurrection life. Do you know that? Do you know that even now you Christian know resurrection life? That the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that worked conversion and faith into your heart and life. And who lives in you. The same power. And so conversion at conversion, began resurrection life until the consummation of all things in the end of time when he judges the living and the dead. Meanwhile, those who belong to Christ, the converted, are new creations in Christ. We are his precious stones of the great temple. He is the cornerstone. We are the stones of God's temple. And at the return of Christ, Christians will be made like him, like his glorious temple, like his glorious body. We will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, immortal, indestructible, which means we will never die again, and we will know no sin no more. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Knowing sin no more. In fact, you will not be able to sin anymore. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. It's one of the most profound teachings of the Bible. When you think of the sin-sick world in which we live, the wars and rumors of wars and the sin that dwells in our own hearts and the sin that dwells in our family and the hostility and the hatred and enmity. To think in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more sin. There will be no more misery. 
we will be like him. This is our hope. And it's a sure and certain hope because Christ secured it in his resurrection. It guarantees, he guarantees our resurrection, our indestructible, incorruptible, immortal life. Is this not worth being joyful? You better believe it. This is why the psalmist expresses words and expressions of gratitude and joy. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout for joy, all the earth. Fall down before the Christ, the King. You think he's talking metaphorically or figuratively? I believe not. What was David doing before the Lord? He was dancing before the Lord. Because the Lord, the risen Christ, whom he looked forward to, but we have the blessed benefit of knowing on this side of the cross and resurrection, the joy of Christ's resurrection. Every funeral and every resurrection day sermon ought to conclude with 1 Corinthians 15. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning, I could read the whole chapter, but beginning at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the, the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be, all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable, bo perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground. Praise be to God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the temple of Christ's body is rebuilt, and he is marvelous, glorious, and beautiful in our sight. Is he precious to you? Is he beautiful? Do you love him more and more? Because he is working in you, Christian, and he has taken you home. And he will give you a glorified body, one just like his. And you will dwell with him forever by the sea of crystal where saints in glory dwell. Amen. Oh, Father, we give you praise, glory, and honor for who you are and what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are great. There is none like you. We thank you that though 
We are sinners deserving of death, hell, and condemnation. You, in your love, your great love and mercy, sent forth your Son to die a gruesome death on a cross, to pay for our sins, and was raised from the dead, vindicated by the Spirit, no longer to die, but is glorified, risen, and who sits at your right hand. Our flesh is in heaven at your right hand, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and its suffering and shame, so that we in this side of glory and its suffering and shame may look forward to for the joy that awaits us in the new heavens and new earth when we will be made like you. We praise you and give you thanks. In Jesus' precious name, in the name of the risen Christ,